Yo, what up? This is Dart Adams. Episode 5, Dart Against Humanity. This past week, I've just been hearing a bunch of people talking about how the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to murder the Boston Celtics, and that hasn't happened. Actually, it's been the opposite. But if anybody who actually watches the Celtics or pays attention to basketball because they understand intangibles and team basketball and the importance of defense, none of them are surprised at what actually transpired and the Celtics are up 2 nothing. I mean, it's weird because I've seen a bunch of supposed basketball experts, uh, analysts, prognosticators and just like in the previous two series they've been wrong dead wrong and you figure after a while they you know they get hip and they realize that this team isn't who they think they are and when I say this team isn't who they think they are I mean in both cases the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers growing up Watching basketball, playing basketball, and then eventually coaching, I've learned several things. One of them being a group of individuals cannot beat a team. And if a team plays a certain way that's disciplined, that's uh, playing all out on both ends of the court, uh, if you're scrappy, if you're determined, if you play the game the right way, if you have excellent coaching, If you scheme or plan and execute the right way, then you're just going to be really tough to beat. I mean, there's so many examples of this. When you grow up and you watch basketball, uh, you have to become a student of the game. You have to learn it inside and out. So one of the things that I was taught was how the Boston Celtics played basketball. I had uncles, you know, family, friends, cousins that all played ball. And I've had uncles tell me, it's like when he played high school ball, basically his homework would be watch the Celtics and then come back and tell me everything they did and what they did that worked and what they did when things didn't work. Their homework was to watch the Boston Celtics to learn how to play basketball. I mean, and at the time, the Celtics, you know, they won all the time. So go figure. But when you live in a city like this, you understand the importance of culture. I understood the importance of hip hop culture. I understood the importance of, you know, the culture from where my mom was from. She was she she came up in the south in Slocum, Alabama. My father came from um, Honduras. So I understood the culture. And the importance of culture and how it gives you a foundation. Well, in Boston, the culture of basketball was you played Celtics basketball. And there are a lot of people who don't live here, who never experienced it for themselves and don't understand what that meant. It didn't it wasn't just about basketball. It was giving you a roadmap for life and how to approach things in your everyday life preparedness, you know, awareness, you know, going through all these different steps. 
practicing something over and over again until it becomes second nature, old hat. And it's just it's just like muscle memory. Those teams didn't win by mistake. Just like the Patriots. The Patriots don't win by mistake. They plan. They train. They learn the rules inside and out. There's a lot of there's a lot of work involved. And it goes back to personnel. You have a profile in your head for the kind of player or the kind of person, whether if it's a job, that you want to have on your side, that you want to have in the trenches with you. And the Celtics, like the Patriots, pick the right people. And God forbid somebody goes down or somebody falls, the next man steps up. And since everybody prepares the same way, everybody's prepared to step up when the time comes, regardless of who you are. Uh, one to twelve. That's the that's that's what people look at. The lineup one through twelve. So when you look at the Boston Celtics and look at what they've done this whole season, the Boston Celtics have been a resilient squad the entire season. Five minutes into the season, they lose Gordon Hayward. Five minutes. They lose their first two games. They go on, what, a 16-game win streak after that? Uh, And this season, including the playoffs, they've won 18 games when they had a deficit of 15 points or more. That's ridiculous. But if you're... The Celtics have played 82 games in the regular season, and they've played 14 in the playoffs. They've won 10 of them. So that's 96 games. Of those 96 games, they've won 18 of them in that fashion. So they won 55 games during the regular season, 10 games during the playoffs. So 18 of their 65 wins have been come-from-behind wins of deficits 15 points or higher. What does that tell you? Their record without Kyrie Irving is 19 and 10. So what does that tell you? Uh, If you look up their record with two or more starters missing, it's insane. That tells you something. This is all data you need to be, you know, figuring out. But here's the thing about data. It's all inconsequential because what really matters is the eye test. And for somebody who watches the games, I wasn't shocked by what happened. And also basketball has to do with matchups. Some matchups are favorable, some not so. One of the big issues with playing the Milwaukee Bucks was that they were really long. They were athletic. They knocked down shots. And for some odd reason, the Celtics had real trouble playing on their on their home court like they could not win a game on their home court. And things really changed when they put in um, Thon Maker and they took out Henson. Um, 
that kind of changed everything because it was really hard to penetrate. It was, they got, there were, they had like what, they blocked 15 shots in one game. That's just tough to deal with. Um, but once they got past that one, they played the Sixers, who they matched up very well with, with or without Kyrie. And they took advantage of that. They beat them three out of four games, I believe, in the regular season. And then they beat them four out of five games in the playoffs. So out of nine times they faced each other, the Celtics won seven. And for some odd reason, there were announcers, there were basketball analysts, there were color commentators that thought that the 76ers were not only going to be the team to beat the Celtics in four or five, in some cases six, but that they would have a better series against the Cavs than the Celtics would. Now, caveat. When I saw the Cleveland Cavaliers come out of um, their last playoff series, I said to myself that if they face the Toronto Raptors, they're going to get beaten because the Toronto Raptors are a team. They're deep, they play well at home, and once the starters leave the court, the bench is who really takes over, and I just didn't feel like the seven, the the Cavaliers really have a good team, and they don't play any defense. So I thought even with LeBron James, that team was going to lose in the series versus the Toronto Raptors because, again, basketball. But I forgot one thing intangibles the Toronto Raptors are weak and mentally soft and they are afraid of LeBron James and after game one and I saw how they couldn't put the Cavs away and they Cavs won game one I said uh oh I realized Exactly why everybody makes fun of the Toronto Raptors. And Toronto Raptors fans and stands have been in my mentions all season long. All season long. Talking about they were the North and they were going to go to the finals and how the Celtics suck. And when the Celtics, when the injuries hit and the Celtics started losing. And they took over first, and I was like, congratulations, you guys have first. You know, finally, it only took you till forever, you know. And they took the number one seed finally because there was a fight at the end of the season, and the Celtics almost had an opportunity to take it back or at least tie. But when they became the number one seed, they were convinced they were going to go all the way and they were going to represent the East in the, um, in the NBA Finals. Not the case. Because again, LeBron James took their heart and they got swept for nothing. Now, after that sweeping, after the Celtics won in five, which I kind of knew was going to happen too because the 76ers were not prepared for the Boston Celtics. They just weren't. The, the previous series did not prepare them to take on a team of the Boston Celtics caliber. But the Boston Celtics matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks absolutely prepared them for taking on the 76ers. And I also think that the Celtics facing the Milwaukee Bucks and the 76ers 
gave them all the tools they needed to be able to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers far more efficiently. And it taught them how to have a killer instinct. And they've only won one game on the road. If you think they're not going to win another one, and it doesn't matter if it's three or four. Actually, it doesn't matter. If you're going to win one, if you're going to win one on the road, it just take three. But if you win three, that takes pretty much all the hope away. But if they win game three, they'll have hope. They have a reprieve for a while. But if they win game four, it's gone again. Now, here's the thing. All anybody's been talking about is LeBron, 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 LeBron. LeBron on three days of rest? I'm like, does it matter if he gets three days of rest if he gets his ass kicked in game two and game one? Now, he has three days to reflect on how he got his ass kicked in two different manners. In two completely different ways. Game one, he came out and the feel... He, they always make excuses. He was feeling the game out. He was, it was a feeler. It was like the first round of a, of a championship match. You know, you try to feel out your opponent. Well, you felt out your opponent. You got your ass beat by 25. And you had a minus 36. And you had seven turnovers. So that, how's that? Now, game two happens. He starts out. He scores 21 points in the first quarter. And, of course, this is the thing. To me, the game is about the Boston Celtics versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's not about uh, the Celtics versus LeBron. Basketball is a team sport. All right? The better teams win. There are very few instances in my 42 going on 43 years of life where I've seen one person beat another team. It has happened, but it's very rare. I think one of the first times I ever saw it happen was Dwayne Wade in the 2006 NBA Finals. That blew my mind. Dwayne Wade carried Shaq. And Antoine Walker hit a couple threes here and there. But he carried that team to the promised land. But back to the original point. Game one... They lose, so everybody's talking about, but he's going to come out in game two. You know, he's going to put up epic numbers. He's, he's going to do everything in his power. He's going to score 60, blah, blah, blah. He scores 21 points in the first quarter. They're up by four. Up by four. That's it. And you could just look at LeBron like, I, I'm going to need to do this the entire game. In order to give my team a chance to win, I tweeted, LeBron has to keep this up all game long because his teammates aren't going to be able to sustain it. However, when he did sit, his team did get hot in the second quarter. Kyle Korver went off for 11 points and then didn't score again after 6.50 in the second quarter. And I'm like, yeah, he didn't score again. Then on Twitter, everybody's like, because they took him out the game. Well, let's see. Why would they take Kyle Korver out the game if he's hot? Let's let's just think. Why would you take somebody who's hot out the game unless they were a defensive liability? Oh, but here's the thing. Everybody in the team's a defensive liability. 
because the people they put in put in for him did nothing either. J.R. Smith, goose egg. Jeff Green, he's the same Jeff Green I remember on the Celtics. Mr. Inconsistent. So, then there's George Hill, or as I like to call him, the Roomba. If anybody's seen the other Cavalier sketch from um, SNL, which was brilliant. And it was cut for time, too. So, it lives on YouTube. I'm actually going to use screen grabs for that for a while. Um, But, again, so LeBron James ends up with 42 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, 6 turnovers, minus 9 for the game. His team loses by 13. They get outscored by 20 in the second half, 59-39. So, LeBron James has an epic game, and his team loses by 13. LeBron James has a so-so game. His team loses by 25. Now he gets three days of rest, and... Game three's on Saturday. And everybody who was saying all these things that LeBron was going to do, never the Cavs, all these people that were talking about all the stuff he has to do and he's going to do and look out for him and all these stands that were in my mention, now they're making excuses for his cast. They're making excuses for the rest of the team and what they didn't do. Look. This bottom line. The Cleveland Cavaliers don't defend. Okay? You don't defend, you have no chance to win. The first game was they missed a bunch of open shots and they won't do that second game. Well, the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers both shot 10 for 31 from three. And if you look, the Boston Celtics had a gang of wide open shots. Matter of fact, I think they said that they had 42 uncontested shots and they knocked down 21 of them. I think the Cavs had what? 11 uncontested shots in that same span. So you're not going to win like that. You're just not you're just not going to win like that. You don't put forth the defensive effort and you could see when you were watching the game that they were dying out there. In the third quarter, there was a stretch where the Celtics were up by one. They come down, they play defense. There's a loose ball. There's a scramble for the ball. This happened again and again. Jalen Brown, rather than grab the ball to start the break, which he had done several times before, he punches the ball forward to a streaking Terry Rozier, Scary Terry, who has LeBron trailing. Now, LeBron is notorious for sizing people up and having the chase down block. Terry knows LeBron's behind him, so he elevates and throws the ball down with authority to give the Celtics a three-point lead. But that lead seemed far more than just three points. And that basket counted for more than two points. 
Because I feel like at the moment that he threw that down and the crowd went crazy, the Cavs kind of died. The Cavs kind of died. Then later, the lead's up to four. They kicked the ball out. They moved the ball around. Terry Rozier's wide open at the three-point line. Bottom. Seven-point lead. I think the score was 84-77. And the Cavs were super dead then. So they start the half up seven. In the third quarter, down seven. Lose the game by 13. Now, while I'm watching the game, even when the Cavs were up 11, I'm like, Cavs got to be up by 20 because the Celtics can come back and win this game. At no point did I think that the Celtics weren't going to win that game. And it's not because I'm delusional. It's not because I'm a stand. It's not because I have blind faith in the Boston Celtics. It's because I watch games. And I know what's possible. And I know how a game is going. And I can look at certain intangibles. I can look at certain things that are happening in the flow of the game. And I can tell this isn't sustainable. They're going to go on a run. And they're going to keep it up. Because they've done it time and time again. And based on the way this team is playing... And you have to keep in mind that only three people scored double digits for the Cavs. And one of those people scored 11 points in one quarter, didn't score again. So basically, it's LeBron James and Kevin Love, who I have not mentioned his name. Not once. I think he had 22 points and 15 rebounds. And it was so inconsequential. Like, those are supposed to be big numbers. But LeBron, you know, I think somebody said LeBron James had the ball between 45 and 48 percent of the time. He had the ball 45 to 48 percent of the time. That's how come he had all the assists. Again, you go to the rebounds, just having the ball. But he had six turnovers, too. And he was minus nine for the game. So when the ball's only in your hands. And other people have to get offensive rebounds to touch the ball. Eh, you're going to lose. But yeah, I don't know. It was just weird too watching um, all the people that were talking about how LeBron was going to do this. LeBron was going to do that. Never the Cavs. And it's like they come back screaming A. Smith. The dude kills me. Let me tell you something, Max Kellerman. The Boston Celtics are an amazing team. Brad Stevens, he's a warlock. He's a magician. Do you know what Brad Stevens did? Molly, Brad Stevens inserted a mailbox into the starting lineup. A mailbox. Now, as far as I know, Mailboxes don't even have eyes. Mailboxes don't have arms. They don't have hands. They don't have digits. They don't have opposable thumbs. But this mailbox grabbed 14 rebounds. And it hit two corner threes at crunch time. 
I don't know how the Boston Celtics coaching staff was able to teach an inanimate object, not only the rules of basketball, but how to shoot. And it it drew two charges. I, I was in shock. I'm just disgusted. The Cavaliers look lethargic. Like, you know, I just love watching, like, Nick Wright have to eat crow. That was probably the best part, man. Just Nick Wright, who just like loves LeBron, like loves LeBron. I'm pretty sure like that man has had LeBron's phalus in his mouth. It's in his dreams, probably. But like, how? I, this is my problem with stands. Fandom. And stand them are not the same thing. Like, I love a team, sure. But if they're doing badly, if they're playing badly, I don't have a problem with saying so. I don't have blind belief in anything. I just, my brain won't, isn't wired that way. And I feel like there's this dis, there's this disconnect where a lot of people just they rock with something so hard that they don't let facts bother them. You know, they don't let situations deter them. You know, they don't let anything stop them from believing blindly, just having blind faith in something. And it's not the Cavs, it's LeBron James. That's, that's, what, that's what gets me. You're not a Heat fan. If, if a player leaves, you're not a fan of that team anymore. You're not a Cavs fan. Is if one player leaves that organization, you're going to wear another jersey. I'm a Celtics fan. I'm a Celtics fan, been a Celtics fan since 1978. Also, it helps that I live in Boston where you don't have choice. I fell in love with sports in 1978. What happened in 1978? There's the Boston Celtics, who I don't really think that they were that good. But I watched them because they were there. Um, 1978, I fell in love with the Boston Red Sox. Arguably one of the greatest Boston Red Sox teams ever assembled. Um, of course, they would set me up for heartbreak because they would lose in a one-game playoff in October 1978 to the hated Yankees. Um, I fell in love with the New England Patriots in 1978, who, of course, would break my heart on New Year's Eve when they lost a playoff game in 1978. But that's how I fell in love with sports. And those have been my teams ever since. And the reason why I didn't fall in love with these teams earlier, one, because I guess there wasn't that much excitement going on, and two, because I don't really remember watching games. I remember watching the 1978 Red Sox. I remember watching the 1978 Patriots. Also because my memory starts from when I could start reading which I think happened in 1978. But yeah, man, it's, 
I couldn't wait to just talk so much shit because everybody thought they knew, but they just don't. But yeah, aside from that, uh, what I'm actually doing right now, I'm realizing uh, probably one of my lifelong dreams growing up in this neighborhood, growing up in this city. Um, in the process of uh, retroing a bunch of uh, jerseys of legendary Boston basketball players. I work um, working close with a company called uh, For Boston and um, Mathematic Apparel Athletics. So today we finally released a pre-order for a kit for Patrick Ewing when he played at uh, Cambridge Ringe in Latin between 1978-1981. I think this is 80-81 jersey specifically. His 1978-79 jersey was really bare bones and frankly was ugly. It just said CRLS down the side in thin letters and it didn't look right on him. Uh, so we decided to retro the jersey that he wore, you know, is they believe is his junior and senior year. That jersey is amazing. It's gorgeous. It's um black, gold damn near, the yellow says Cambridge. Um and that's the one that we decided to go with. It looks amazing. Has shorts. The shorts have pockets. Uh, so the pre-order for those just went up on the 4Boston website. And right now we're working on some other stuff. Um, the next two jerseys that we're going to release, uh, Labor of Love, we wanted to do... Reggie Lewis, who we're coming up on the 25th anniversary of his passing. He passed away July 27th, 1993. Uh, he was playing basketball, I believe, at Brandeis. Uh, I was supposed to get a ride down there and play with him, but the ride never came. And I just finished playing either Turbo Duo or Super Nintendo. And I turned... And back in the days, you would click off and you would turn to like the regular channel because you had an alternate channel that you went to like like you do today. But I went, clicked off, went to the regular channel and it was uh, channel four or five news. And they were at Brandeis. And I my friend who was supposed to pick me up and take me, he um he hadn't called yet because he said when I'm I'm going to call before I show up, because back then you couldn't call from downstairs. You, no one had cell phones. I didn't have a beeper. 1993, I didn't have a beeper. So he was like, I'm going to call your crib, tell you to like wait on the stoop or whatever, and I'm going to come get you. I never got the call. But I saw on the news that there were a bunch of people at Brandeis because Reggie Lewis had collapsed again. And then I'm switching to different channels. It's 457, 457, 25. Um, then all of a sudden, everybody's reporting on it. And some people were like, he wasn't breathing. He was unresponsive because they're going to people that were on the scene. And he ended up dying. And it was like his funeral, easily one of the saddest days in the history of Boston that I was able to witness. And people who were in Boston the day that they announced it, um, John F. Kennedy was shot. And the day Martin Luther King was shot tell me that it ranks up there as one of the saddest days in the history of the city. And I wouldn't dispute that.
But the point I'm making is that the next joints we're releasing is Reggie Lewis and Dedrick Irving, who played... Reggie Lewis played at Northeastern between 1983 and 1987. So, and then, of course, like, 87 to 93, he was a Boston Celtic. So, from ages 8 to 17, I was a fan of Reggie Lewis. Because he was playing first in my backyard and then for my hometown team. Uh, Dedrick Irving played in Boston University between 1984 and 1988. And then I believe he played some semi-pro. There was a league called the 501 League that played at Emmanuel College. Uh, that played from like November 1988 to like February 1989. So he played for a team called the Decepticons. And at the same time, um, Reggie Lewis, uh, in his early days, he played semi-pro in the summer for a team called the Bay State Magic. But um, basically, it's going to be a, a versus because they were both um, competitors in the ECAC. Like Reggie Lewis won player of the year, I think, three straight years. And I think Ded- Dedrick probably won it the next year after um, Reggie Lewis graduated. And... It's pretty much going to be um, predicated on them clashing in the ECAC all the time because who won out of that ECAC clash usually went to the NCAA tournament. And Dedrick was able to go to the NCAA tournament the year after Reggie graduated and ended up going to the Boston Celtics. So it's going to be it's the Northeastern Huskies and the BU Terriers. So we're going to call it the dogfight because that's what they called it in the papers. Again, I researched this. So like one, the reason why this is so big is because it marries all of my loves and interests. History, research, and sport. This is something I'm super passionate about because when I was coming up, pretty much the only people that really paid close attention to what was happening between Northeastern and Boston University were people from either the Boston metro area or New England. Everybody else was watching the Big East and the ACC and the Big Ten on television. Who outside of this region was watching television game, televised games between BU and Northeastern? And the thing is that if you try to go on YouTube and look up Dedrick Irving's games, you'll find nothing. The only reason you really find footage of um, Reggie Lewis from that era is because he's passed away. And because people have done documentaries. So, another reason why to do it is because the Boston Legends line is based on resurrecting history that only we know about and we want to bring awareness to other people but also we want to celebrate the Boston legends Dedrick Irving had an incredible handle and he was a dead-eye shooter you know and Reggie Lewis of course he was a knockdown shooter but he was tremendous when it came to driving he was a great rebounder He was an amazing teammate, even though he was shouldered an offensive load. He was selfless. 
And these guys really put on a show when they played. When I was a kid, I remember going to a BNBL game. That's the Boston Neighborhood Basketball League. Been running since 1969. Uh, the long, the oldest and the longest running such neighborhood basketball league in the entire nation. Before that, there was this thing called the Boston Tech League. But it stopped and the BNBL took over for it. Um, this is all basketball history that most people outside of this region aren't even aware of. Um, but I was watching a BNBL game, I believe it was 92 or 92, um, the year Reggie Lewis went to the All-Star game. And the kids kept missing shots back and forth, back and forth until finally the ref stopped the game and said, stop trying to shoot like Reggie Lewis. Reggie Lewis shot a lean back jumper. So the kids were trying to shoot jumpers like Reggie leaning back and they were bricking them or hitting the front or going long or hitting the side of the rim. Finally, they started shooting like their, like their normal selves and, you know, we started getting some scoring happening. I think the game was at Peter's Park. But just to give you an idea of the influence of this man, like Reggie Lewis was somebody who we really looked up to early on Twitter. I tweeted this thing about Michael Jordan and how Michael Jordan wasn't super influential, even though he was a great player. But thank God I had Reggie Lewis to look up to in Lower Roxbury. That wasn't an exaggeration. That wasn't hyperbole. We looked up to Reggie Lewis. I mean, even in South End, Lower Roxbury, where we ain't give a damn about anything and we swear in front of the police. Cats wouldn't swear in front of Reggie. And it's not because we feared him. It's because we admired him and loved him and we respected him enough. You know, he was. A, I saw that dude in the neighborhood so often. That he was it was amazing because like, dude, you're a superstar, you know, but he didn't feel that way. He didn't treat himself like one. He didn't give off that vibe, you know. He was just here for the community. He was just here to be around everybody. And he just was a regular guy, even though he really wasn't. You know, anybody who blocks Michael Jordan four times in a game, you ain't regular. Anybody who switches off on Scottie Pippen and Scottie Pippen is making faces, you ain't regular, you know. Anybody who lights up the Cleveland Cavaliers in the 92 playoffs for over 30 points a game isn't regular. You know, anybody who has a huge contract with Reebok, you know, but he was all that and he was more. But yeah, so the next two jerseys we're going to um, bring back are going to be Reggie Lewis from Northeastern and Dedrick Irving from... BU. I'm really excited for this to happen. And there's this is just the beginning. There's more on the way. I'm researching currently for uh to retro jerseys from um legendary players who played between 68 73. But the thing is a lot of the pictures we have are black and white. 
and a lot of schools that they played for no longer exist. The Boston Trade School doesn't exist anymore. So if we find a black and white picture of the Boston Trade School jersey, which we have to go into all these archives to find, first of all, um, fine. Now we have an idea what the jersey looked like, what the lettering looked like, but what are the school colors? So I basically have been going around the city tracking down people who either taught there or went there to ask them what were the school colors? Did the school colors change over time? Does anybody have a yearbook that survived? And so yearbooks, again, are black and white just to have more pictures. But you can determine certain things. And it's not like we don't have the luxury of being able to go to a school that still exists and looking in their trophy case or asking their archivist. Who's the archivist for a school that hasn't existed in over 50 years? Who's an archivist for a school that shut down in 1979 due to busing? Where do they keep all this stuff? Hmm? I'm asking. Nah, quick, nah, nah, for real, for real, for real. For real, for real. How do you find this stuff out? Who do you go to? You have to find a person just to find a person to ask the right person who the right person to ask where to find this shit is. This is the work I've been doing. So, a lot of people have been wondering, like, where was the next episode? Well, I've been working. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do, and it's funny because seven days is the average time you wait for a normal podcast. People usually do one a week. I think this podcast has been around for like three weeks and this will be the fifth episode. Again, because I wanted to do it more in line of what people do with um, Netflix. And I'm not tripping on numbers because what I've been told a lot is there are people that like to block it out for the weekends or long trips and they listen to them back to back to back, which was the idea I had anyway. Because, again, I've seen people not watch a show when it comes back because they're so used to binging that they're going to watch four or five episodes back to back to back. And it's good because it gives them an idea of arc. It gives them an idea of reach of character development. And I don't try to do the same episode or similar things every episode. That's why this episode, I've been ranting about basketball. I don't want to do the same thing over and over again. The point of Dart Against Humanity is for me to rail against being put into a box or compartmentalized. I can do whatever the fuck I want, however I want to do it, whenever I want to do it. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about before I get out of here, because I think we're going to cut this one at 45 minutes. I've been trying to do that for so long. I think I'm actually going to do it today. I'm in shock, personally. But the last thing I want to talk about is apparently Mass Appeal. Uh, the account is suspended and they deleted a whole bunch of people's uh, pieces. All in one fell swoop. And I believe I was probably the last person who was a columnist, regular columnist for him, who did... um. Who did knowledge darts? Well, I mean, a lot of people are hurt by the fact that a lot of the writing that they did disappeared. Some people wrote every day and the editors had them do news pieces daily, you know? And I'm like, if you did that, it's unfortunate, but did you think that any of your pieces were going to survive? 
and me, I did all my columns and my pieces. And when I was let go, I knew what was going to happen. So I had all my pieces that I wrote, even like with Medium. I have all the pieces that I wrote for Medium. I have them all in the archive and everything. And I'm going to do whatever I want with them because they're mine. I don't really put trust in any of these companies. The only thing they do is pay me for my service. I'm work for hire. Other than that, I have no trust in them. Whatever happens, happens. That place could be gone. I'm still going to be writing. Where? I don't know. Again, that's why I took my talents elsewhere. I, I do A&R work. I do consulting. I'm doing this work right now with um, for Boston and um, Mathematic Athletics. I'm going to do other things with other brands in the future, hopefully, that fall in the same line. But I'm not going to pigeonhole myself, and I'm not going to allow any company or any space to dictate my worth ever. So, yeah, I think that's all I got today, man. Ain't going to be no sign-offs ever, so deal with it.